our uh, marriage retreat, marriage conference, which is coming up next weekend. Next weekend, we're going to have a guest speaker preaching for us on Sunday. So our uh, marriage retreat is going to be led by Ray and Janie Ortland, and I am really excited to have uh, Pastor Ray come and, and share the word with us and encourage us and exhort us in what biblical marriage is, what it is to be a husband, what it is to be a wife, and how to do this in a way that honors God and advances the kingdom. So I'm really excited to have them come. And the next Sunday, uh, Pastor Ray Ortland is going to be preaching for me, and that is a, a great honor. Uh, and I am looking forward to that next weekend. Just kind of as a reminder, we have not filled out yet. So if you have uh, not signed up, please go ahead and sign up. If, if there is something financially keeping you from coming, just come anyway. And I would say this, also, if you can just come to one session, you can't come to all three, or you can come to two, just come. I think it'll be a great encouragement to you. You'll benefit from it. Uh, it's going to be kind of a, a fun environment. Uh, we're going to have some discussion panels. I'm really excited about uh, who we're going to have come and be a part of these discussion panels. So we're partnering together with other churches from around town. So uh, Pastor Kevin Short, who's one of my dad's uh, longtime friends, is coming. He's going to be on one of these discussion panels. A good friend of mine, J.T. Patton from Freshwater Springfield, we uh, partnered with them and uh, Christ Community Church to do that Easter service a couple years ago out at Christ Community's campus uh, during, during covid um, so he'll be on one. The, the famous J.T. Dick is going to be on one of our panels. Um, so he'll be here for that next week. So uh, we're excited uh, to have J.T. back and be a part of that. So it's going to be a, a fun time. Please come and, uh, and be encouraged. And uh, I think it's going to be a great time. And so let's, let's pray and then we'll dive into the message today. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to, to come and hear your word. Uh, Lord, I pray that um, in all things you would be glorified. Lord, I pray as we dig into your word today, uh, our hearts would be soft to hear from you. Lord, we, we pray that uh, our hearts would receive the words that you're saying and that the enemy would have no place to speak here today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So today's message is really geared toward the believer. Now, I use the word believer intentionally, because today we're going to be talking about doubt. Okay, so if, if you think about it, as much as a, a lie is dependent on the existence of the truth, I think in some way, doubt is dependent on the existence of faith. How can you doubt something if you don't kind of, sort of, at least maybe a little believe it's there? So, I don't know, that's probably a, a bit of a, a semantical argument. Regardless, today's message is for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior, the Savior of their souls, the forgiver of their sins, and the giver of everlasting life. So as we, as we talk about doubt, I think it's important for us to begin with discussing Faith. Our, our scripture reading today told us that we're talking about John the Baptist. And we're talking about John the Baptist who sent a couple of his disciples, so he was a rabbi, he was a teacher, he sent a couple of his disciples to go and ask Jesus, are you really the one? Or should we expect 
someone else. Now, I want us to understand something. As we talk about John the Baptist, and he expresses this doubt, are you really the one, or should we expect someone else? I want you to understand that Scripture presents John the Baptist as a believer. Scripture presents John the Baptist as a believer, even in Luke. Luke chapter 3 verse 19 tells us that John knew that one was coming after him who was mightier than he was and that he was not worthy to untie his sandal. Later in verse, uh, chapter 3 verse 21 and 22, it tells us that, that John baptized Jesus and that when he did, the Holy Spirit descended bodily like a dove and that he heard the voice of the Lord saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. He heard this, he saw this, he experienced this. Now, as much as this is in the Gospel of Luke, and since we're in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 7, I want us to see what Luke told us in chapter 3, but John chapter 1 gives us a more complete view of what happened that day when Jesus met John the Baptist. And so John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34 says this, the next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. All right, so I want you to see the declaration that John the Baptist makes in just these few verses here, okay? So what does John do? He calls Jesus the Lamb of God. All right, John says that, that Jesus will take away the sin of the world. John says that he saw the Holy Spirit descend and remain on him. And finally, we see that John declares that Jesus is the Son of God. So as we go through this, as we think about this, Is John a man of faith? Does he believe? I think scripture is undeniable. It says he believes. So I want you to see that in Luke's account, as we look at John the Baptist, he's not in in this state of being convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. When you put the Gospel of Luke next to the Gospel of John, you can see that John the Baptist was already convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. He was a believer. Yet in our passage today, what do we see? We see that John doubts. He believes, but he doubts. So let's talk about kinds of doubt for a second. So as we talk about doubt, I think it's important that you guys understand where I'm coming from, what it is that I mean as we talk about doubt. All right, so I'm going to speak of 
Really, we're gonna focus on the last. But I think that they're, generally speaking, so if somebody wants to come up to me afterwards and say, well, actually, Pastor, you know, there's, uh, you're probably right, there is. Okay, so generally speaking, we're gonna talk about three kinds of doubt, okay? All right, so this is the first one that I wanna to tackle today, three kinds of doubt. This is doubt apart from belief. Doubt apart from belief. Now, in, in my mind, this is similar to like an agnostic view, okay? So in terms of belief in God, this person would say they doubt that God is real. In fact, they would say it's impossible to really know whether God is real or not. And since you can't be sure, agnostics just kind of doubt it all, okay? They don't really put their faith in anything. They don't really trust or believe in anything. All right, so what I would do is I would call this doubt apart from belief as passive disbelief. All right, it's passive disbelief because they don't really take a side and they don't really believe, believe, trust in anything. All right, then there is doubt as rejection of belief. Doubt as rejection of belief. So in terms of belief in God, this is going to be atheism. This is a person who does more than not believe. All right, maybe they might say they no longer believe. But at this point, they now disbelieve. This is an active disbelief. When we think of atheism here or uh, doubt as a rejection of belief, we're saying that they have, they've suspended belief. They are actively not believing in that thing. They, they actively disbelieve that God exists. And finally, and this is where we're going to spend ourselves today, okay, this is where we're going the rest of the time, there is belief accompanied by doubt. Belief accompanied by doubt. And I would say that for many of us, this is the Christian condition. We believe, but we don't always believe all the time in the sense that we don't always feel it. You know what I mean? We don't always feel that. I, I would call this maybe insecure belief. Insecure belief. All right, so we have uh, passive belief, which is like disbelief, passive disbelief, which says, I don't really believe in anything. We've got active disbelief, which says, I know I don't believe in that. And then we have insecure belief, which is, I believe, but I don't feel like it. It's hard today. So I'm going to give some examples of what this type of belief accompanied by doubt may look like. Perhaps this is a doubt that has counted the cost of following Jesus and says today, I'm not sure. The cost feels really great today. This is heavy. I'm not sure. If that's too strong, then perhaps it's a faith that wants to double check. I know this is true, but like doing your math problem, you're like, I'm seeing the number. I know I did my math right, but it doesn't feel right, so I'm going to do it again. I'm going to double check. I could just leave it, but I'm so insecure in my ability to do this correctly, I'm going to do it again. All right, so it's that idea of a double check. Or maybe it's, it's a faith that sees another option as tempting, and that temptation is causing this person to evaluate what they really believe. I'd like to do that. That sounds really good. I'd really like to go down that road. And since I want to do that, and I know it's in conflict with what I believe, then I know then to go down that road, I have 
to evaluate what I believe because going down that road means walking away from this and that's really tempting. So I'm going to doubt what I believe because that looks so appealing. All right? I think it would also include having a surprise experience that you didn't think God would allow. This is the kind of doubt that says, I've experienced this terrible thing and I'm left wondering, God, where are you? How can you let this happen? Surely God would never let this be. Now, at the end of the day, this is a faith that holds the truth but lacks the confidence that comes with certainty. Church, this kind of doubt seems to be a real issue for believers all throughout the Bible. So if you have found yourself in a position where you have said, I believe, but I'm doubting, you are not alone. I just want to take you through a couple examples from Scripture. Moses. I want you to think about Moses for a moment when he was called to lead God's people out of Egypt. He sees a burning bush that's not being burned up. Miracle one. The bush talks to him. Miracle two, right? Now he's talking to the Lord through this bush, and he says, Lord, tell me your name so that I can have your name to tell to other people. And, and the Lord answers, tell them I am as sent you. And he goes, okay, but they're still not going to believe me. What sign should I give? And he goes, throw your staff down. And his staff becomes a serpent. Now pick it back up. And it becomes, it's not, you know what's kind of cool? Like, he didn't just throw it down and it slithered away. He's like, oh, no, I don't have a staff. Like, he picked it up and it became a staff again. The Lord says, stick your hand inside your cloak and pull it out. And it's got leprosy. So the Lord afflicted him. But stick it back in and pull it back out. And it's cleansed. So how many miracles are we talking? At least four. A bush that didn't burn up, a bush that spoke, a serpent that turned into a staff and back, and his hand that turned to leprosy and back. And then what does Moses say? Not me, Lord. <laughs> I doubt you can accomplish what you want through me, and God gets angry at that point, right? Like, all right, so here's what I want you to see. Like, Moses believed, and he doubted. Think of the nation of Israel. They had finally been led out of Egypt. They had experienced the ten plagues. They had seen it. They had seen Pharaoh's army destroyed by the Red Sea. They had followed the cloud. They had followed the pillar of fire. And there they are outside the, uh, the, the promised land. They just sent the spies in and they came back. They believed. But the spies, ten of the spies said, this is too hard. And they said, yep, too hard. In their belief, they doubted. These aren't the only examples. Think about Gideon, the judge, who had to put out the fleece more than once. Think about the prophet Elijah. The prophet Elijah. Literally, fire. He just called fire down from heaven to consume this drenched sacrifice. And just a few verses later, Jezebel, the queen, is trying to kill all the prophets, 
And he's scared to death that God's not going to preserve him. He'd literally just seen God bring fire from heaven, and he's scared God won't save him. Do you see this? We're talking about all throughout Scripture, we have people who believe, but they doubt. So I started out today by saying this message is for the believer. Moses, the nation of Israel, Gideon, Elijah, all saw God work. They all believed, but in their belief, they doubted. As we've seen, John the Baptist was a believer. But I want us to consider how John responds in his doubt And I want us to see how Jesus responds to John's doubt. Let's jump back into our passage. Let's look at Luke chapter 7, verse 18 through 20. It says this. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. Put your finger right there. All these things. That's what we've seen previously in chapter 7 and in probably to the teachings of chapter 6. We've seen great miracles. We've seen the dead raised. We've seen other great things, all right? So they reported all these things to John. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? This is the same John the Baptist who who we've read about before, right? That we read about just a few minutes ago, who declared that Jesus was the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the same John the Baptist who saw the Spirit of God descend bodily onto Jesus. This is the same John the Baptist who heard the voice of the Lord say, this is my beloved Son whom I am Well, please, this is the same John the Baptist that said, this is the Son of God. And yet, he has to double check. Why? Luke chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, tells us that John had a run-in with the Herods, with, with King Herod and the other Tetrarchs, right? He was at odds with the royal family, and the Herods had thrown him into prison. All right, now, even though Luke doesn't mention prison right here in Luke chapter 7, Matthew chapter 11, verse 2, clearly says that this event happened while John was in prison. So here John is. He's the forerunner of the Messiah. And he's in prison for standing for the truth. He'd done nothing Wrong. He'd come to prepare the way for the Messiah, and yet he was in jail. This is not how it was supposed to go, right? This was not the plan. This is not what we expected. Church, I think we can see from this, right, that if the faith of John the Baptist needed some help when he was suffering and disappointed then who do we think we are if we are surprised to experience doubt when God hasn't met our expectations or when we find ourselves suffering? I think as we look at Jesus' response to John, all right, 
It's not that John doesn't believe. He believes, but he's wrestling with his doubt. So the question isn't, do we doubt or not? The question is, where do we go with our doubt? So so John may doubt, but John does the only thing that we can do when our belief is insecure. John goes to Jesus. Where does he go with his doubt? John goes to Jesus. Now, he was in jail, so he doesn't go himself, right? But he sent his disciples to go and ask Jesus if he's the one. Now, let's look what happened next. Let's let's jump back into our passage in verse 21 through 23. It says, In that hour, when the disciples came to inquire of Jesus, in that hour, so when they got there, what started happening? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, listen to this answer. Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind received their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now pause with me for a minute here, okay? Who has Luke declared John the Baptist to be? Look at Luke chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. It says this in Luke 3, 4 through 6. As it is written in the book of of the words of who? Isaiah the prophet. In the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough place shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Say that five times fast. Shall see the salvation of God. All right, now this passage comes from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. All right, so Luke, along with the other Gospels, identified John the Baptist by quoting from the book of Isaiah. Now look back at Jesus' response to John's disciples, and he lists six signs that tell who he is. What are those six signs? The blind shall receive their sight. The lame shall walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have good news preached to them. Now, each one of these six signs is traced back to a prophecy in what book? Isaiah. Let's look at these. I just want you to see this for a second. So, who's John the Baptist? He's the, the, one, the forerunner told of in the prophet Isaiah. And what's Jesus' answer to am I the Messiah? Isaiah told all about me. Let's look at these examples. Isaiah chapter 42 verse 18 says, Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see. A little more clear in Isaiah 35, 5 and 6 says, 
Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf, uh, deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Look at Isaiah 26, 19. Your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. Now, the last one I want us to see comes from uh, Isaiah 61, 1, which is the passage that Jesus read when he preached in Nazareth, where they tried to kill him, just for fun there. Well, it's not fun that they tried to kill him, but I'm just letting you know the context. All right, so what's it say in Isaiah 61? The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring what? Good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So John sends his disciples to Jesus to find out if Jesus is the Messiah or not. And Jesus' answer is both perfect and kind of infuriating because he doesn't give him a straight answer. Wouldn't it be nice if he just said, yes, behold, I am he, right? But no, that's not what he does, right? He points his disciples Back to the scriptures. Jesus quotes the book of Isaiah, the very book that identified that John the Baptist would be the prophet that was to come to prepare the way. So Jesus essentially says to John, what do you know to be true? In John's doubt, Jesus says to John, what do you know to be true? Jesus says, inspect the evidence. Inspect the word of God. And then he doesn't give him the straight answer. Instead, Jesus is basically saying, I've already told you. I've already shown you. You already know. What's his answer to John the Baptist? You already know. Jesus knows that John knows who he is. John was under a lot of pressure, a lot of stress. Jesus was not meeting his expectations. And in his weakness, he expresses doubt. He expresses insecure belief that Jesus is who he said he was. So let me ask you guys this. Have you ever been in a bad spot emotionally or physically or spiritually? Now, I want to say everybody raise your hand. But like, yes, everybody in the room should say, yes, I have been in an emotionally, physically, or spiritually bad spot. All right? Those things happen to everyone, and they happen all the time. Now, I have children, so since I have children, I have lots of experience with children's toys. All right? So, silly putty, right? You got, have you ever put silly putty in your hand and then like squeezed it? Like what happens to that silly putty? When you squeeze it, when you put the pressure on, it looks for a way out, right? It starts squirting out each side of your hand. It starts filling into all the nooks and crannies of your hand. It wants a way out. When we start putting pressure on, we want out, right? So this is reasonable, right? When the pressure is on, when we are feeling these things, when everything is out of our control, we feel like God should do something, and when he doesn't do the thing that would take the pressure that we're feeling off, we go, 
where are you? Or we say, why won't you fix it? Or we say, is this really worth it? What I want you guys to understand is doubt is reasonable. But what do we do with our doubt? That is the question. Where do we go with our doubt? John was in jail. He had to know that he was going to be executed. And if he didn't know he was going to be executed, it had to at least be in the back of his mind as a possibility. All right? And so in his weakness, he expresses this doubt. It's not the doubt of disbelief, but in his belief, he needed to be sure, is this worth it? Do I suffer for this? Perhaps he was even thinking, do I die for this? And without using these words, Jesus tells John's disciples, tell John that he already knows who I am. Tell John that he already knows what he needs to do. A couple of years ago, almost three years ago, when I went back and checked my records, I believe this was the last message I preached before the pandemic. Okay, So almost three years ago, we were preaching through the Gospel of Mark, and we looked at Mark chapter 9. And it's the story of the father with a demon-possessed son. And Jesus asked this man if he really believed that he could heal his son. And do you remember what the father said? The father said, I believe, help my unbelief. As I went back and read through my notes this week on that message, I like almost wanted to preach the whole thing over again, but we can't do that. But I loved that idea of, I believe, help my unbelief. So here we have John the Baptist in prison. He believed, but he needed Jesus to help his unbelief. So in boldness, he sends his disciples to Jesus to find out. And Jesus' response to him is, you already know. So where do we go with our doubt? We have to go to Jesus. We go to him in prayer. We go to him by reading his word. And he may not tell you something new. I mean, that's the thing that blew me away by this. Like, Jesus did not tell John the Baptist something new. He reminded him of what he's already known. Sometimes when we go to Jesus, the thing he will tell us is what we already know. Jesus is the same today as he was when we first believed, right? Do we believe that? So what do we have to do when, when we experience doubt? We go to Jesus, and he will remind us of the ways that he has come through. He will show us in our lives that that last time you went through something terrible and you wondered how God was in it, and he will begin to show us how he was enough in that time. He will take you back even further to that other time when you knew that the Lord wasn't really there and how the Lord brought you through it. And if you are a new believer or you don't have this track record of God coming through for you, you know what he'll remind you of? He'll remind you of his grace that was sufficient for you on the day you professed your faith in Jesus Christ. That he has saved you from your sin. That he has led you to his grace and his freedom. And that can be a wonderfully assuring place for us in 
our doubt. Now, not only can we learn from our own experience, but if we go back to the Word of God, we can see how God was faithful throughout the ages. And so we draw near to Him by coming to Him in prayer, asking God to remind us of how He's been there for us. And then we draw near to Him by diving into His Word to see how Jesus revealed Himself to others and see how He has been faithful to a thousand generations before. Now, then, then something interesting happens. After Jesus tells John that the blind have received their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them, Jesus does something very, very fascinating. He pivots. One second, he's talking about John's doubt. All right? Jesus offers signs and miracles as proof of what John already knows. Jesus seems to take for granted that John will be comforted by this report, and then Jesus begins to affirm John. Just think about that for a second. This guy who expresses doubt, Jesus offers comfort, and then we see Jesus affirm John. Let's look at how the passage continues in Luke chapter 7, verses 24 through 28. It says, When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in the king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, and I tell you more than a prophet. This is he of whom it was written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Verse 28. The guy who just expressed doubt. Jesus says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Now this is... This is kind of crazy, but yet super encouraging. All right? He, he looks to John's past, his preaching in the wilderness, and he affirms that John is this messenger who went out before him. He is this prophet. He is not just a prophet. He's greater than a prophet. Nobody's ever lived that's greater than this dude. Like, even if that's hyperbole, right? That's still awesome praise. The guy who just expressed doubt, Jesus affirms. What does that tell you? That even in your insecure belief, you can be secure in Christ. Amen? That is huge. So the question is, what do we do when we doubt? We have to do what John did, right? We go to Jesus. We draw near to him. Listen to James chapter 4. This is an important promise from the Lord, starting in verse 7. It says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and what, church? He will draw near to you. 
Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. What's James' promise? Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. When we experience doubt, our temptation is to pull away. But what James challenges us to do is draw near to him, even in those moments when he seems far away. The temptation is to withdraw, but we must press into the Lord because when we do, that is when we will find him. I want to read to you guys from Psalm 77. And when I say from Psalm 77, I mean Psalm 77. We're going to read the whole thing. It's not a short psalm. It's not a long one, but it's not a short one. So open your Bibles. I want you to see these with your, pay, with your eyes. And if there's something, as I read this, that sticks out to you, I want you to mark it. You're allowed to write in your Bibles, okay? Pastor Brandon said so. Just write in your Bible, not someone else's. Okay? Now, what I want you to see as we look at this psalm is this is written by a person who knows heartache, who's who's been hurt. I'm going to say, by God. And yet I want you to see their attitude as they go through this whole psalm. Psalm 77. I'll be reading out of the ESV. The psalmist says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. So where are we starting? I just want you to note that. Where are we starting? In this person's day of trouble. In this person's day of trouble, what does he do? Seeks the Lord. Draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. Now listen, what's he say? When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Now, just think about that. What kind of place is this person in? This is a bad place. This is a dark place place. There's no rest. They can't sleep. They can't be comforted. They moan at the thought of God. When they meditate, their spirit faints. God is not providing them tremendous amounts of comfort at this moment. Verse 5. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Now, what does he say? Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in his anger shut up his compassion? Do you hear the desperation This is not like, yeah, my dog died and I'm sad. Like, this is grief. This feels like abandonment. 
Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. What this says is I'm not going to get stuck. I'm not going to stay where this brutalness is. I'm going to look back. I'm going to remember. Verse 13. Your way, O God, is holy. That's trust in the middle of doubt. What God is like our great God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the people. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. All right, so where is he going? He's going way back, right? He's thinking about the Exodus. He's remembering God's great works. Verse 16. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. All right, put your finger in 16. Now, in, in the ancient Near East, the water was a symbol of chaos. It was a sign of power beyond man's control. It doesn't get much more grave in the earth than to think about water. When the waters saw God, what happened? They were afraid of him. Indeed, the depths trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightning lighted up the whole, lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Now, stop right here. The world is in chaos. That's the picture that's been painted here. It is loud. It's a cacophony out there. It's brutal. And then what does it say in verse 19? Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. What's that say, church? He leads through the suffering of our life. He leads through the chaos that is around us. It is not a denial of how hard our world can be. That doubt should motivate us to remember the God that we serve, the God that we love, and it is an opportunity to see his faithful hand lead us through the troubled waters of our life. He sees us through to the end. This psalm shows us that in our doubt, we don't run from God. We press into him. There's this school of thought out there that says, when you experience your doubt, search that doubt out. Trace that doubt out. Explore your doubts. There's some merit to that. If it parallels pressing into the Lord. But what I have found is you find what you're looking for. And if you go chasing your doubts, guess what you're going to find? More doubt. The answer is not chasing our doubt. The answer is pressing in to our faith. Now, does that mean that our faith is insufficient to overcome our doubts? By no means, church. 
But if you look down the dark road of doubt without grabbing hold of your faith, you are in trouble. We don't do one chasing our doubt without holding on to our faith. And I tell you, even that is not necessarily a good idea. It's far better, far greater to cling to our hope, to press in to Jesus Christ. Listen to this from James chapter 4, the next verses from what we read earlier, verses 9 and 10. It says, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Humble yourself. Confess your doubts. Let him see you bare. It's not like he doesn't know. Meet him there. Mourn and weep. Did you see the psalmist? Mourning and weeping. Humble yourself before the Lord, and who will exalt you? The Lord. Not that book you read on the New York Times bestsellers list. Not that podcast that goes down the rabbit hole that's been driving you crazy. Who will lift you up? God is the one who will lift you up. Where do we go in our doubt? John went to Jesus. And man, that sounds like a Sunday school answer. Where do we go when we doubt? We go to Jesus. Right? But man, where else would you go? He has the words of eternal life. He's our Savior. When we pause and think back, we can see the way he's been there for us. Now, I don't have time to go down this road for too long, but I also want you to see this. And church, this is where we have an opportunity to be here for each other. Who, who went to Jesus? It was John's friends. John's friends went to Jesus. And what did they do? They provided a witness to what they saw Jesus do. And what was a comfort to John? It was the testimony and the witness of his friends. What do you have the opportunity to be for someone else? A witness and a testimony to what you have seen God do in your life. You have an opportunity to be a strength and an encouragement to your brother or sister in Christ when they doubt. And you know what else that tells you, church? If you're in doubt, you don't have to go it alone. You can look to a believing fellow Christian and ask them, hey, how did you get through your hard times? And you can receive encouragement from your friends to be pointed to the truth of Jesus Christ. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the way that you challenge us and encourage us to take our doubt to you. And Lord, we thank you for the example that as John's doubts were brought to you, you did not deny him, but affirmed him. So Father, let us have confidence then to come to you in our weakness and in our time of need. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As we sing these last couple of songs here and we have a chance to respond to the message, my challenge to you is this. Explore what you've done in your doubts in the past. Are you experiencing doubts right now? 
And if you are, what's it look like to take those doubts to the Lord? What's it look like to trust him with your unbelief? How do we ask him to help us in our unbelief? Is there a brother or sister here in the church that you need to talk to for some encouragement and some strength? However the Lord may be working in your life, now's our chance to respond. The altar's open. We take this time to lay our needs down before the Lord. Whatever's going on in your heart and life, whether it has anything to do with the message or not, this is our chance to lay our burdens before the Lord as we respond to him in praise. Please stand with us. Let's seek him together.